Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. My guest today, Julie Cordua, is the CEO of Thorn, a nonprofit founded by Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore that develops technology to combat online child abuse and child sex trafficking. What would commonly be referred to as child pornography is a global problem that has proliferated on the internet over the last 15 years, particularly since the advent of social media. In this conversation, Julie Cordua describes the scope of the problem, which for reasons she describes, she refers to as child sexual abuse material. She also describes how emerging technologies developed by Thorne are being used to detect when this material is being uploaded and is aiding law enforcement around the world. We kick off discussing a recent announcement that Thorne was one of the winners of the Audacious Project housed at TED and will share in a $280 million prize to eliminate child sexual abuse material from the internet. We discuss how Thorne will work toward that goal, and we have a broader conversation about how global efforts to combat the spread of child sexual abuse online have evolved since the early days of the internet and social media. This episode is part of a content partnership with the Skoll Foundation to showcase the work of the 2019 recipients of the Skoll Award for Social Entrepreneurship. The Skoll Awards distinguish transformative leaders whose organizations disrupt the status quo, drive sustainable large-scale change, and are poised to create an even greater impact in the world. Recipients receive $1.5 million in core support investments to scale up their work. Thorne was one of the 2019 recipients. This was an absolutely fascinating conversation that, to me, changed how I view the internet, frankly, and I think it will change how you view the internet as well. And so now here is my conversation with Julie Cordua, CEO of Thorn. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Audacious Project uh, is a project that's housed at TED, and the idea behind it was, what if you um, funded world-changing ideas at the scale that often private sector companies get venture funding? So, you know, there's a lot of venture funding that goes into scaling um, hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, uh, tech ideas. Um, and other types in business. But often you have these world-changing ideas in the social sector, and the same type of concentrated funding rarely gets pointed at a a certain approach. 
Um, there's a variety of reasons. I mean, I think the biggest reason is the lack of risk taking often in the social sector. And so the Audacious Project is trying to address that is to say, if we see a promising idea that has traction, that has a team of people that we believe it can approach it um, and is worth the risk, uh, how do we channel the significant amount of funding needed to take it to the next level? And so um, that's how the project started. I think it, it started about two years ago. Uh, and, and that's how we got involved was a year ago seeing uh, the first round of winners be announced at TED in 2018. And we thought, uh, we have an idea <laughs> that, um, that is world changing and needs this type of investment. What, what is your idea that won this prize? Um, sure. So Thorne applied uh, with the idea that we could use technology to eliminate online child sexual abuse material, um, or as most people in the world have probably heard it called child pornography. Um, so that's the sharing of images and videos documenting the sexual abuse of children uh, and actually evolving into new types of crimes. But we we're focused, our idea was focused specifically on how do you use um, new technology, data science, algorithms, connected data around the world to more rapidly identify and remove this content um, and we have been doing this work now for five years and we know what's working. We know what's not working. We have the team in place that has built expertise around it. So we felt like this was exactly the type of idea Audacious was looking for was it wasn't unproven. Um, it, it had been started, but in order to do something like this, which is addressing a truly global problem. I mean, every part of the world that is connected is affected by this. It would take the type of investment that you normally see um, in venture funding. Uh, and so that was uh, why we applied. So, so can you um, maybe walk me through some data and statistics such as, as they exist around um, the uh, what I would refer to as child pornography, but what you just referred to as CSAM, the child um, child sexual abuse child yeah. sexual abuse material. First of all, like why the difference in the term? Why use that term of art as opposed to child pornography? Uh, and secondly, what's the scale of this problem around the world? Sure. So I'll address the term um, first. So. It was decades ago that the term child pornography was coined. And um, if we look at what this material actually is, it is the furthest thing from what we commonly would think of as pornography. Um, it, this is the documentation of the violent sexual assault of children. Um, most of the images and videos that are coming in at least to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in the U.S., which is one of the only places in the world where there is a mandatory reporting requirement. So it is one of the places that is able to have a broader view of what this content actually is. It is very young children, mostly under the age of 12, very violent material. Um, and oh, by the way, you know, children cannot consent to sex. So the idea that that something is pornography is insane. So while that is the term that is used in uh, law, it is written into law, as a field, we are trying really hard to change the language around this so that there is no misconception about what this is uh, and that we can then use the language to help us 
understand what we're really talking about and address it with the kind of urgency that it needs to be addressed with. Uh, so that's um, kind of the evolution of the term. On on as far as the size of the problem, uh, we work <laughs> we work on this issue and we work on child sex trafficking as well, which are inherently crimes that people want to hide. So when that is the case, it makes it really hard to get a true measurement of how big it is. You are only able to measure what you can see. Uh, and that is usually when people have gotten sloppy, but even what we can see is mind blowing. So, um, as I mentioned before in the United States, the United States is the only, or I, I, I may be mistaken if I say this, one of the only few countries in the world that has mandatory reporting of this material, which means if a tech company comes across this material on their platform, they have to remove it. They have to report it to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And what that allows us to do is start to get a measurement and a trend line of how much content we're seeing and how big this problem is. So if we look back uh, kind of in the early 2000s, um, the National Center was seeing hundreds or thousands of files being submitted. Last year, there was more than 45 million images and videos submitted. And it, that was only from 12 companies. And granted, it was the largest 12 companies that host user-generated content like Facebook and Google and others who actually proactively look for this stuff and take it down and report it. But if you imagine, that's only 12 companies in the entire world had 45 million images and videos of child sexual abuse material. What are we not seeing? Um, and so that that's one measurement we see. We also do work outside of the open web. So we're looking in peer-to-peer -peer networks, in the dark web, um, especially in the dark web, we're seeing dozens of websites dedicated to this, hundreds of thousands of individual users in those environments, millions of images and videos circulated in, in those um, environments. And in peer-to-peer -peer networks, we're seeing millions of unique IP addresses. And it's really hard to nail down how many unique individuals are behind that. But um, just the sheer volume of activity we're seeing would, mm. would make us estimate that we're seeing millions of people around the world participating in this trade. So I'm curious to learn how the, the approach by say law enforcement or others uh, to combating you know uh, these crimes have evolved over time. I mean, in sort of interesting in in, in the early two thousands, probably two thousand two, I was actually an intern at Interpol in oh. in France, and and I uh, remember meeting a I think it was like a British police officer who um, you know was in charge of you know combating you know child pornography and his approach was like very analog, right? He would study pictures. He'd look for evidence in the photos yep. of location, like what kind of outlet uh, was being yep. used, you know, what, um, what kind of, what, what else, you know, what books were on the shelf, like that sort of thing to sort of identify and nail down the location of this photograph. But now you're talking about like millions and millions of, of pictures generated, you know, on a you know, regular basis that those kind of analog approaches are no longer feasible. So right. like how, how has law enforcement, how have others evolved? How has sort of Thorn stepped in to push forward new approaches to um, combating CSAM? Yeah. Wow. It's crazy to hear you say that and 
say that was early 2000s because honestly, a lot of that type of analog work is still going on, which uh. is why this other work has to happen. And then the other thing, the other reaction hearing you say that I had was think of those officers around the world who have to look at these images every single day to do that work. There is a better way to do this where we can have great investigators around the world doing this work and we are not forcing them to look at the darkest side of humanity every single day because that is that is hard i mean even more than hard right that how the the officers i've met who do this work are so incredibly dedicated most of them i hear never want to leave this field but it's because you know that you're going to change a child's life when you identify them and remove them from that situation. But it is really mentally and emotionally taxing. And so we keep that in mind all the time when we build our software is how do we um, build software that helps identify these children faster, stop abuse in the first place, but also help do it in a way that takes into account the mental tax on the officers who have to do it. So, um, it, I would say in, uh, the, the, the way the investigations have evolved over the last couple of decades wasn't that rapidly. So, so there was still a lot of analog. People were trying to create kind of databases where they would make sure that they weren't double reviewing images, right? But uh, that, that wasn't happening at scale. It might have been happening. It might have been happening in kind of country by country. But because this, these files transmit all around the world, right? If, if someone has already rescued a child in the UK, but that image appears um, in an investigator's inbox in Australia, how do they know that this kid's already been rescued and they don't go spend a year trying to find them doing that analog review of what is the outlet and what is the thing, right? Mm-hmm. This is a truly go- global problem. And unfortunately, right now, it's, it is investigated often by jurisdiction. And so what we're trying to do is say, okay, um, it is, we can connect all this data around the world. If you build the right algorithms and you have the right connectivity, you can do kind of matching you and deduplication. You can use different algorithms to elevate the most pressing of data that you're coming across. So if an image or a video comes in and we know that that child has already been identified, um, we obviously want to try to understand if the person circulating it needs to be addressed, right? That you can arrest someone for trading child pornography, but you don't have a live victim, right? So the prioritization is different. So we can go through very quickly within minutes, right? Around the world and say, this is content that's already been seen. Um, this is content. Uh, th- this is content that needs to have an investigator start to look at it. Um, you can start to use facial recognition. If you have a huge database of images, uh, perhaps you can take facial recognition and say, in my 20 million images, where are all the other images of this child? Perhaps we've seen it before, but we don't remember. Let's pull all of that data. And maybe if we get 500 images of this case, there will be that one clue that breaks open where in the world they, they are. The The thing I will say is that this the investigations of this crime uh, will never be wholly automated. There is going to be always be that last kind of few feet of having to look at the images and figuring out some of those clues that where in the world are they. Um, but 
we can take out, you know, 80% of the time it takes in the investigation, which for these kids is everything. It's how quickly can you stop that abuse? Yeah. Can you maybe tell a story, an example of how your technology has led to, say, the you know rescue of a child or the arrest of a perpetrator? We are working to the uh, software and intelligence to officers um, in a way that they can, like I said, prioritize their cases and um, get to these children faster. And so oftentimes online, there is so much, uh, so much information that if you're in a certain country, you're not quite sure where should I be focused? Where should I, you know, where are the people in my jurisdiction I should be focused on? Uh, we had a, had a case early on where, um, I'm not actually going to reveal the country, uh, but, um, there were investigators in a certain country and they used our software to, um, go in and pinpoint which of these people are in my jurisdiction. Um, within minutes, they found, uh, someone who was trading content, uh, in their jurisdiction. And then within that one day, they were able to identify where they were. This person was not only trading content, but they were publishing content of abuse of one of their children. And they went in and identified that, um, abuser, got the child out of the house, And at that time, there was actually a younger child in the house who they were able to remove from the home. Obviously, the abuser went to prison, um, but we created a situation where within, instead of letting this linger for months, within a couple of days, they were able to get to the child and ensure that that younger child was never abused because we stopped it early. So this is where we actually want to get to. We also have recently had a few cases where um, in some of these chat rooms where people talk to each other about abuse, they plan abuse. So we have had a few cases where by analyzing this data, we've been able to identify those scenarios where people are planning abuse and be able to intercept and safeguard children before that happens. Um, Could you maybe sort of for... um lay people like myself sort of try to um, explain how your technology works, particularly the technology that seeks to sort of eliminate um, child pornography or pardon me, CSAM from existing on the internet in the first place. Yeah. And and so that's actually really important is we need every company in the world that hosts user generated content. They need to be proactively screening for this abuse material. It is not their fault that it's there usually. Um, but they can't hide their head in the sand and say, oh, I built this great platform for sharing images. Uh, nothing bad's going to happen. Something bad is happening. You just have to look. Once you look, you're going to know it's there and you have an option to ensure that your platform is not complicit in the abuse of a child. And so we have created software for companies that, um, allows them to very quickly spin up basically a content moderation system that specializes in the identification of child sexual abuse material. They can identify the material, they can take it down, uh, depending on what country they're in, they can report it if that is a requirement. 
Um, but basically how it works is, is you take hashes, which are these digital fingerprints of known abuse material, images and videos. And as, as, um, you're reviewing the content on your system, you're just basically hash matching. You're just saying, does this fingerprint of this image match any fingerprint of, you know, of of images on my system? And if so, it's bad. So it doesn't mean that people are in looking at content that you're hosting. You literally can use numeric algorithms to identify bad content. Uh, and, and most companies have in their user agreements that you sign when you sign up for the platform, um, you cannot use this platform for illegal activity. And many companies actually pro specifically state for the abuse of children. Uh, and so uh, a lot of people get up in arms and say, oh, I don't want the scanning of my content. The reality is you agree to it usually mm-hmm. when you started working and, and it, there is no privacy violation. There. And, and you're talking about companies like Amazon Web Services that that sort of host all these websites and and provide like the infrastructure for for much of the internet. Um, yes, those, but also uh, storage sites like Box and Dropbox, mm. social media okay. sites, social media applications. If you think about like TikTok and Kick and and Facebook and Google and Twitter and Instagram and everything that comes next, any place online that allows users to generate content, uh, the majority of those platforms will have child sexual abuse material, will have a user attempt to trade it on that platform. Uh, I guess like one thing I find so sort of interesting and, and almost challenging uh, about your project, about your work, is how, you know... You're refusing to accept that um, child pornography, pardon me, CSAM, is just like a byproduct of the internet, right? Like, I've always assumed that so long as the internet exists, these nasty things will also exist on it. Um, But you're saying that it doesn't actually have to be that case. We don't have to accept that. that There are solutions um, to... um, to, 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 to stop this, not just stop this, not just contain it, but actually eliminate it. And that to me is sort of, uh, is sort of changing my own thinking about how I view this sort of dark aspect of, of the internet. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, if you would ask me 10 years ago, if I would have done this work, I didn't know anything about this field. And so I wouldn't have said that. Um, now when I have seen the darkest side of what a human can do to another, Um, you just said, like, would I just accept that this is a byproduct of the internet? Um, no. And I think, yeah, part of our society can accept that. I, I think one, it's our job to let people know really what this is. It is really, um, horrific. And the, the other thing that gets, um, why we are so focused on this is because first and foremost, the child and the abuse, but also it is becoming so pervasive, the normalization of this, right? If you have millions of people around the world in chat rooms telling each other, this is okay, this content is great, shouldn't we produce more? Isn't this normal behavior? That is a scary place our society is getting and it hides behind the darkness. And so we have to ask ourselves, how much effort are we willing to put in to make sure this is not a part of our society and protect our own children um, and our own humanity. I, I just can't imagine 
you know, a world where we would know this is happening and say, that's okay. That's just a byproduct of this technology we've built. Um, I think we'd have to look really hard at ourselves <laughs> and ask ourselves if that's what we're willing to sit by and let um, let technology do to us. So how will you know going forward if, if you're succeeding? I mean, you know, beyond, you know, preventing these images from appearing on, on the internet, um, it, you know, it seems like your, your sort of ultimate goal is, is sort of broader and deeper social change. Yeah. I mean, I think so. So the audacious, uh, funding is supporting our technology development, but we have a complementary area of our work that is in actually focused on behavior change. So using the data intelligence we're seeing online to create initiatives that build more resilient youth populations um, and also to talk to those who may be encountering this material online and making a decision about whether they keep going down that dark path or they realize they've encountered something bad and they should not. Uh, so we have, it can't just, it's not just about technology um, uh, development. It's also about behavior change. And I am focused very much right now on the effects of technology on children and child sexual abuse, but this, this does have broader implications to what, you know, what are we, willing to just turn a blind eye to and what are we not uh i think we have to be more active citizens in how technology is changing our world and how we will allow it to change our world and where we we want to basically say humanity is stronger than technology and we're going to make some conscious decisions here um so i think that that is a bigger concept uh, well, Julie, thank you so much for your time. This is um, absolutely fascinating conversation. Thank you for your work. And um, I will point everyone to Thorn to, to follow your work. Great. Thank you, Mark. It was wonderful speaking with you. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Julie Cordua. That was absolutely fascinating. And you know, as you can tell at the end, kind of changed how I view the internet, frankly. I had always sort of assumed that nastiness like child pornography, the child, online child sexual abuse material uh, was sort of a uh, necessary byproduct, I suppose, of the internet. But no, it, it doesn't have to be. And, and people like Julie and her organization are so profoundly working to change that perception. So thank you. Thank you to her. And a big thank you to the Skoll Foundation for supporting this show through a content partnership. All right, we will see you next time. Bye.